Right. Well, in case you don't know me, thanks for being here. If you've never been here before, uh, we're thrilled to have you. My holy kiss has fallen off the podium. Um, so my name's Johnny, and that little announcement at the beginning, um, our uh, pastor and our associate pastor or administrative pastor or assistant pastor, I don't know what we call him. It starts with an A. Uh, so Cor- uh, Rory and uh, Chris are the two tall guys. Um, they're in Nepal on a missions trip, and they're going to be there for uh, three Sundays. And so for the next three Sundays, you're getting the third stream quarterbacks. <laughs> and there's a bunch of us, so I'm the first one to go. Um, so when I was studying, uh, well, I was, Rory told me he wanted me to teach on Easter about a month ago, and I was like, oh, man. I actually taught on Easter one other time because of uh, Nepal trip, I think. And I did my favorite passage about um, really the crucifixion and the resurrection, which is Isaiah 53. It comes from the Old Testament. It's a prophecy. And so I was like, man, I don't know. I'm not going to do that one again. I think that was two years ago I did it. And, uh, and so I was thinking about what I teach on. And I also, just so you guys know, I'm, my name's Johnny. I'm a high school. Well, I'm not anymore, but I used to be a high school science teacher. Still identify as one. Um, <laughs> But now I'm, I'm more like a principal, sort of a pseudo-principal. Next year, I've been working on my admin credential. Next year, I'm the principal of uh, this little homeschool program that we have in the school district. has about 250 students. And um, so I love young people, teenagers. I actually understand them. And, um, I, you know, the older I get, the less I understand them. But I used to really get it when I was in my 20s. And uh, so I've been teaching the middle school kids on Sunday mornings lately, and it's been awesome. And the first unit that I'm doing with them, you know, a unit in teaching is like a thematic trend for a number of weeks. So the first uh, series I'm doing with them is um, what is the Bible? And so I I taught a lesson about, um, you know, what Christians believe, you know, what does the Bible say it is, you know, and, uh, you know, that it's in inspired. Okay. And I, but actually before I taught that lesson, I taught a lesson of what historically is the Bible. Like where did these letters come from? And, and then I did, you know, what Christians view it as inspired. And then I went into, um, what is the story of the Bible? And so I had to plan a lesson that was just the whole Bible in one, you know, 20 minute lesson for middle schoolers, you know, con- condense it down to its simplest form. And, and I came uh, to the realization the Bible, it does have a theme that runs throughout the whole book. And it is a, um, it is a story of redemption, in one word, redemption. And then, uh, while I was thinking about what to teach um, for everybody on Easter, I heard somebody teach the, the parable of the prodigal son. And, and so I heard that and I thought, that is a really interesting way to talk about Easter and the, the story of the Bible. And so um, today's message, what I want to do is I want to take this, this thing called a parable. And Jesus um, was an amazing teacher in that he could engage simple, regular folks. And the way he did that often was through these things called parables. And a parable is just a story uh, that's, that's made up to tell, to, to make a point. Okay. Or maybe a series of points. And so it's like, 
you know, this one starts out, there's a father with two sons, you know, and it's just like, uh, picture this, okay? And so um, I think as I studied this passage, I think this parable more than any other parable of Jesus actually gets the whole message of the Bible in one little story that anybody can understand. And so um, the, and, and the, the interesting thing is the, the peak of the story, the high moment in the story is the high moment that we're at here today that we call Easter. And so, and so I want to kind of think of Easter, think of what we call as Christians Resurrection Sunday. I want to I think of it through the, through the eyes of this parable today. And so it's in uh, Luke 15, if you're in a Bible. And uh, Luke, for those of you who don't know, Luke is um, called the Gospel of Luke, the good news according to Luke. And there's actually four different Gospels in the Bible that tell the good news of this guy named Jesus and the life that he lived. And so we're just zooming right in. Luke is a doctor, and uh, I, I really, um, you know, feel like if I was one of the disciples, although Luke's not a disciple, but if I was one of the disciples, I'd probably be Thomas, kind of, kind of somebody in your head all the time. I need, I need proof. I need facts. And, and I think of Luke and Thomas as the two guys that I would connect with the most. And so Luke uh, starts his gospel. I think it's the gospel of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts as like a sequel. He starts his gospel and he says, and as much as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of, of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as though, uh, as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, it seemed good to me also having had a perfect understanding of all things to write an orderly account, O Theophilus. And so the, the book of Luke is a letter to a guy named Theophilus to say, hey, I wanted you to know all the details of the life of Jesus, just like other people have written them, except I'm going to do my own version. You know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go talk to the eyewitnesses. I'm going to go interview the people and, 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 and get the stuff down. Okay. And so, so we're just zooming right in the middle of it. The life of Jesus, and uh, we're in chapter 15. And chapter 15 is actually three of these things called parables, three different um, stories that Jesus told that were back to back to back. And, and I'm just going to read the third one, okay? But we're going to do a quick overview of the whole chapter, okay? And so in, in the beginning of the chapter, this is what we get. Then... Chapter 15 of Luke, verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to hear him, to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribe, uh, scribes complained. Another translation says murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And, and so he spoke this parable to them, saying, and then he actually spoke three parables to them, saying, and so I'm going to skip to the third one now. There's a parable called the lost sheep, parable called the lost coin, and I'm going to be going over the parable of the lost son, which is also known as the story of the prodigal son, okay? And so we skip to verse 11, and then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Actually, I looked up the word prodigal. It means 
wild and extravagant. Okay? And when he had spent all there, he spent all the money, he arose in a severe famine. Uh, There arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older brother, or sorry, his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing, and so he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. And therefore his, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might be merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you have killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Now, I, I read, and I think we had the King James on the screen. The Bible's written in, the New Testament's written in Greek. So it's translated into English. And when I um, first became a Christian, I was not a very good student in high school. You know, I was smart, but did, didn't care. I don't think I had actually read an entire book. Um, and so when I became a Christian, somebody was smart enough to give me the New Living Translation which is the regular man's words version. And so I'd encourage you, um, if that was like, oh, what what did I just read? Low? What does low mean? That's a funny word. And and uh, making merry, you know? It's a, it's a much more literal uh, translation, New King James. So um, because it's Greek, you can have like, just follow the, the pattern of the words. Or you can have, hey, help me understand what it actually means. And there's kind of a spectrum out there. And New King James is pretty far over on the literal side of things. So in case some, there's some young people in here. My, my kids are in here somewhere. Eli, where are you? He's in so much trouble. So <laughs> Teskey's here, Jacob. So 
if you boys are anything like I was, that just got read and you were thinking about your track meet yesterday, right? So let me give you all just a quick once over, big picture. What, what was that story? Okay. And let me encourage you, New Living Translation, if you didn't hear a thing that, that we just read. Okay. Um, so the story, the parable that Jesus tells is like this. There's a guy, he has two sons. And the younger of his two sons comes and says, Dad, I want my half of your money. And then when, and then amazingly, his dad says, okay, here you go. And he goes off to a new distant place and he gets crazy and he parties and there's prostitutes. And you can imagine the kind of lifestyle that he chose to live with that money. And then he ran out of money and there was a famine. And so he had to take the worst job there is. Um, in order just to get enough food to eat. And he still wasn't really getting enough food to eat. So he makes up his mind, I'm going to go back to my dad and I'm going to beg him to just make me like a slave that I could just live in his house and work for him all day long, every day, but still have enough food to eat and not have to live with this terrible life that I've created for myself. And when the dad sees the son coming, like the dad is looking for him. The dad runs to him. And the son starts to make the speech to dad. Like, dad, I've been thinking, of, you know, he's got a long journey home. He's got this whole speech plan. And dad cuts him off and kisses him and, and puts new clothes on him and has a party, kills an animal. Everybody's over because his son who was lost is found. His son who was dead is alive again. And then the older brother who had been faithful dad the whole time, came to dad, because the party had already started, and said, dad, what are you doing? This kid is a total scumbag. And, and dad says, um, it is good that we celebrate that your brother's back, because he was dead and now he's alive. And that's, that's the story of the prodigal son. Okay? Now, normally at Calvary Chapel, we try to teach verse by verse through the Bible. That was like 30 verses. And it's not going to happen because it wouldn't happen. I'd get through like eight. So instead, what I've decided to do, we, we read the story. You kind of, you get the idea, the basic picture of it. I want to give you a little bit further back view of it. And so I'm gonna, I've got six questions on a piece of paper in front of me. And I want to ask a few questions and then kind of answer them for about 25 minutes. Okay. And so the first uh, question that I want to ask you relates to... Um, the first three verses. Remember, I read three verses and then we skipped over to verse 11. So the, th the first three verses, Jesus is um, sitting down to, to eat or to speak with some sinners, okay? And there's these other people in the story called Pharisees. And um, if you, it's hard to understand. I remember when I first started reading the New Testament, it's hard to understand a lot of the details of the Bible if you haven't been around church very much. And so, you know, being Easter Sunday, we are so excited. If you if you don't step in a church very often, I mean, most of you guys, I, I recognize you. We used to be a church of like 100 people, and now we're a church of like 300 people. So there's a lot of people I don't know now, but um, I see your faces, and I, how's it going? Um, but if you're, if you're like brand new, like, I don't, I don't go to church, you know, like, my friends dragged me here, like, we know that happens on Easter Sunday 
and it, and we're excited. We're glad you're here. Okay. And, and for those of us who are here all the time, I think it's still good to, to hear these things. Um, but if you, if, if, if the Bible is foreign to you, you know, and a lot of the words like Pharisee and scribe and, and even the word sinner, nobody uses that word in our culture except for Christians, you know, um, I would encourage you. There's this new TV show that's not that new, but I just started watching it like two weeks ago. It's called the chosen and it's free and it's on the internet and you can stream it through, I think a number of platforms. And, uh, these are the Pharisees. And if you watch this show, a lot of the things that you read about in the gospels, it really puts them in context for you. And so, so these guys are Pharisees and, and Jesus has got the sinners coming in to sit with him and listen to him. And it actually says in our text, it says the sinners came to hear Jesus. And, and the first question I want to ask is a question for the Christians in the room. I believe, you know, when I, I'm a science minded person. So I, I see kind of a natural tendency of human beings in general to do to re- any religion, what these guys did to Judaism. And, and the Pharisees were like, you know, I think of them as, and I, and I don't want to speak against Catholic priests as a general thing, but just human behavior as a rule, when it comes to religion, we tend to exalt certain people. And then to make sure we know those people are exalted, they put on really funny clothes, right? And so you watch the show, these Pharisees, they got these weird hats, they got all this stuff they wear, and then they have these weird objects that they're walking around with. And, you know, and human beings do this with, with everything, really. I mean, you go to court, right, to see a judge. And why does the judge need to wear the weird clothes? What is the point of this? I don't know. This is what human beings do, you know? And I became a principal a couple of years ago, and it was like, now I have to wear a tie so people know I'm important. That's what I was telling people. Yeah, I wear a tie now, so you, you know I'm important, you know? I, I don't know why we do this as human beings, but we do. And um, so these Pharisees were just living it up in that lifestyle of being the important guys in, on the show, in the, in, in the religion of Judaism, which is Jesus was a Jew. And Jesus comes in, and he just totally like shaking things up and knocking things down. And, and Jesus is sitting with sinners and telling them about God and accepting and receiving them, you know, like they're worth something. And the Pharisees see Jesus doing this and they are disgusted. Okay. And uh, one translation I said, it, it says murmuring. Another translation says complaining. And then I think our, uh, Maybe our translation was complaining. And so you get the sense of the real word, the Greek word that those words are translating from. There's, I think it's kind of in the background. Like, you see what he's doing? Like, what is he doing? You know, like just kind of murmuring amongst themselves, right? And Jesus is smart and he knows what they're thinking. And so he says, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you three stories, okay? That'll answer what your objections are, Pharisees, okay? And, and I wonder before we even get into it, Christians in the room, have you become like a Pharisee? You know, and as, as evangelical Christians, that's kind of our category, you know, we, we kind of pride ourselves in the fact that we aren't the Catholic church, right? Like protest 
the Protestants are protesting some of the things the Catholic Church did with Christianity, right? But I think that we too, even as evangelicals, we, we still, it's just like this natural force within us to become religious, you know, to, to, to get obsessed with the physical things that we wear. And, you know, beyond that, I think, I think we've kind of like set a rule in, in evangelical Christianity. Like it doesn't matter what clothes you wear, right? So proud of that. So it's like, I'm wearing a hat in church. Yeah, that's how radical I am, right? <laughs> and, but I think there's still a lot of other systems that we start to set up in our church, even in this, you know, non-denominational kind of church where we, we try to not have religion. It's about a relationship, right? But, oh, but, you know, who's, you know, you start to, when you've been around a while, oh, well, Johnny, he's, you know, he teaches the middle schoolers. He's a really big deal, you know? And, oh, he knows how the live stream works. And there's just, like, for me, I mean, I've been a Christian for 20 years now, and I'm kind of involved in the leadership here. And, and it's like, it'd be real easy to get really proud like a Pharisee of, of, you know, and some of us who've been around for a long time, I think that's a risk for us. So, so think about that, Christian. But let's get into the story now. Um, Jesus is going to respond to these guys, the Pharisees. And if you haven't seen The Chosen, go check it out, officially endorsing it. Okay, uh, so we're in verses 12 through 16 here. And the next question, so my first question there is, I don't think I even said it. Do Christian, do sinners want to hear you? Are you compelling like Jesus? Like I want to be a follower of Jesus, which means I want sinners to want to come and hear me. And it's, it's weird to even use that word, right? Like my fellow sinners, we're all a bunch of sinners here. But we, we want sinners to want to hear about Jesus from us. And we want to be people that are approachable like that as Christians. Okay. So we get into it. Verse, verse 12 through 16. I want to ask the question, what is Jesus purpose for the, for the younger brother in this story? And I think his purpose is to agree with the Pharisees. He actually wants to agree with the Pharisees. And so he tells this story and he says, Hey, yeah, like we're, we're like all God's children, right? And some people, like the younger brother, have um, spit in God's face. I mean, this younger brother, what he's doing to his dad is he's saying, I wish you were already dead, right? I'm tired of waiting for you to die. Just give me the money so I can get on with it. I could care less about you. And that's what it is to be a sinner, is to reject God, to turn our back on God and say, God, I don't want anything to do with you. I want to do it my own way. And, and so um, what's interesting is that this also shows us that God allows human freedom. God allows human beings to go their own way and to say, screw you, God, I don't care. I don't want anything to do with you. And we may not consciously be aware that we're doing that, but that is what's going on because God is our creator. And, and you know, just from creation alone, we are without excuse that we should be asking, God, who are you? Who made this? Okay. And, and, and what do you want from me? What are the rules for my life? But God allows our freedom. And so the father gives the son half of his money. And, and then the son goes and lives it up. Right. And um, I was listening to a guy when I was preparing for this. I was listening to a guy talking about this story, and he used this phrase that I just thought was really stupid the first time I heard it. He said, yeah, the, the spiritual physics of this. And I'm like, what are you talking about, spiritual physics? 
you know? And, and I listened to him, and as I, as I listened to what he had to say, I thought, oh, man, he's, he's got something there, okay? So let me, let me explain this concept to you, okay? So physics is probably the most hard of the hard sciences, okay? Not hard, like, really hard to get through the class, but, like, rock-solid conclusions, okay? And so I used to do this, I actually did this one time, this really boring science teacher did this lab and gave it to me, and I was like, okay, I'll try it. It was super boring, but it was actually really scientific, okay? But sometimes those things are really boring. So it was this, it was this platform, okay? Like a, like a, it was a piece of plywood, like two feet long, three feet long, and it had two screws or nails in it and a rubber band connecting from the two, and you could, boom, you know, you could shoot the rubber band. And then he had these little hockey pucks that he had cut out of different uh, pieces of rod. And so they're like, you know, a little bit and like a half inch or one inch or a two inch. And you take this hockey puck and you'd pull it back and shoot it down. And it was like something that would really entertain like a four-year-old, right? And we were doing this with freshmen. And uh, they were not as entertained, although they did shoot the pucks a little bit, right? But then the, the purpose of the lab was to demonstrate uh, Newton's first law, I think, that, no, I don't know, I can't have, not a science teacher anymore, guys. Force, I can't remember which law it is, but it's force equals mass times acceleration. How do I not remember what law it is? Man, that's embarrassing. Okay, uh, so force equals mass times acceleration. So the relationship there is... Um, the heavier something is, it's an inverse relationship between mass and acceleration. The heavier something is, the less it accelerates when you apply flo- force, okay? So you could take a small puck and you pull, the, pull back to a, a given spot, shoot the puck, pew, it goes two feet, right? And then you take a big puck, pull it back, same distance, shoot it, it only goes one foot, right? It's twice as heavy, it goes half as far. And, but you could, you could take the rubber band twice as far backwards, shoot the puck, and go just as far with a heavier puck. And so it, it demonstrated physics, okay? That's how boring physics is. And, and, I mean, it's not boring, but that, that was a super boring life. But that's what physics is, right? Like rules about how the physical world operates, okay? And so when this guy said spiritual physics, at first I thought, what is he talking about? And then I started to get it. And th- this is what he had to say. He said, look at the language of the younger brother. Give me my inheritance that is due to me. Okay? And so this is sort of a spiritual law that when you get focused on yourself and you want to live your life, that you are naturally going to move away from God. Okay? And so um, the son does this and the father says, fine, go. And the son goes. And, and um, so my next question here, first off, let me just, let me, I'm, I want to check in with you guys. So to some of you in here, I want, you, I want to ask you the question, are you dead to the things of God? Like, are you this prodigal son who has turned his back on God and who has told God, I don't care? who you are. I don't care what you want. I'm going to live life my own way. Like, is this you? I want to ask you that. Okay. And, and if, if you're a Christian today in this room, I want to ask you, do you care about that kid? Do you care about that prodigal son? Or are you like the Pharisees and you're like, good riddance, get rid of him. 
Okay? And so now I want to ask another question, and it's related more to verses 12 through 16. It says that, that after the father gives the son his inheritance, the son goes to a faraway land, okay? And um, the, the Greek words are actually the word kora and the word makra. And I don't know anything about Greek, okay? But I, I can research it. And so I did. And I'd heard this idea that the kora makra, the faraway land, is literally translated makra, like macro, like big, and kora, like empty, okay, core. And so it's the big empty, okay? And so I don't know why that also works for faraway land, but what, what happens is the young son, Jesus says he goes out into the big emptiness, right? And so, and this is, this is the, again, that spiritual physics. If you live for yourself, and if you want what is for you, you will end up in the big emptiness, right? The great emptiness. And, and Jesus said it like this in Matthew. He said, whoever clings to his life will lose it, okay? And Jesus, so this son, he's like, dad, I want to go find myself, right? It's so, it so sounds like what the world tells us, especially like marketing, you know? Like, oh, you need the best iPhone and you need the best car and you need the best house. It's all about you. What's your style? Be about yourself, right? And that's totally like the, the messages that come through marketing to buy things, right? And, and the son, you know, and I remember I had a friend, acquaintance, a friend's cousin. We, we, we were, I'd just become a Christian and we were sitting down. She's, she was, I don't know, visiting for a weekend in college. And, and I remember her we were talking to her about God and, and we were like these on fire Christians who are, you know, sometimes a little bit obnoxious when you're a brand new Christian. Cause you just, you know, everything it's so black and white. Right. And, uh, and she, and we're like telling her about Jesus. You gotta follow Jesus. You gotta turn away from sin. It's like, she's like, guys, I just feel like, I just feel like God's saying to me, I, mean, I can't remember her name it was like Christy or something. I'm like, Christy, just go enjoy the world and just live your life. And it was so interesting because as Christians, as these young 20-year-old Christians, we were just like, that is the stupidest thing. What? That's exactly the opposite of what's true about God, right? But she was totally hook, line, sinker. This is what God wants me to do right now. And I remember, I remember later, she got pregnant from two different guys and had two different kids, you know. And, and it wasn't like this amazing thing, right? And this, 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 uh, this guy, he goes to live out in the big emptiness with all this money, Right? And, and Jesus says, if you cling to your life, if you go just find your life, just go live for yourself, you're going to lose your life. That's, that's the, the physical relationship. Live for self, you will die, right? But then Jesus says, here's the other end of the physics. If you lose your life, if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. And so there's this spiritual law that Jesus is declaring for us that if you try to own your life, you will perish. But if you give up your life and lay it down for my sake, Jesus, the king of the universe, you're going to find true life. Okay? And so, so we see this in the story. The younger brother, he goes out to the great emptiness. He, he focuses on himself. He lives his own life. And, um, and he, he runs out of money. And there's, and it mentions prostitutes, right? You can just, we've all done it, okay? This is not just a story 
about some guy's son. This is a story about every one of us, okay? This is the story of the Bible. God creates us, right, as a, as a species, as a human, you know, human race. And, and we turn our backs on God repeatedly. And mankind falls away from God and is separated from God. We are without God now. There was a, there was a time before where mankind was together with God. And, and we had a relationship with him. And then we've been separated from God by our sin. And that's what happens to um, this younger brother, you know. And for us, you know, some of those things that turn us away from God, lust, okay. Lust, let, Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And then right after he talks about that, and we're all, every guy in this room, we're guilty of that. Okay, and then right after that, he says, and if you've hated your brother, if you cussed at your brother, some weird Jewish cuss word that he says, then you've murdered him in your heart. So right there, every man in this room is a murderer and an adulterer, right? Like we have been separated from God because of our sin. And then, and then our greed for money and always wanting more and coveting, every person is guilty. Now there's some degree of this that's really atrocious, right? And, and it usually ends in drug use. And I mean, meth is a perfect example of this. You lose your teeth. Your face is affected, right? And your, you, you, your cheeks point inward. Yeah, that's the furthest that it goes. Or, you know, a child molester. We think of those as the most evil people on the spectrum. But we're not, you know, compared to God, we're not much further ahead of them, even if we're one of the good ones, right? And so mankind is separated from God by sin. And this younger brother, is separated from his father by sin, okay? And Jesus, in this moment, is agreeing with the Pharisees about these sinners. Remember, this, this story started, and these sinful people came to hear Jesus. And the religious elites looked at him and just said, oh, how could you even talk to those people, right? And Jesus is like, you're right. They're like a guy who's, who's feeding pigs. And to a Jew, it's like saying to an American, you're like a guy who has to clean a porta potty with his with his bare hands, right? Like it's disgusting and filthy, okay? And then, so Jesus is with the Pharisees on this. That's sin, it's evil. That younger brother is wicked, just like all of us. But then Jesus turns and the story is not gonna match up with the way the Pharisees think anymore. And so now verses 17 and 18, the question I have is, how far can you fall before you can't come back? And the Pharisees are like those, those sinners, you know, that tax collector. If you watch that, that TV show, I was telling you about the chosen. They got this guy that plays Matthew, the tax collector. It's like, gives a whole new perspective for us to what it meant to be a tax collector in the Jewish world. I mean, just a traitor, an absolute traitor. And, and, um, and, and Jesus is receiving a tax collector, a total traitor. And these sinful people, and the Pharisees are disgusted. Like those people are past saving Jesus. And Jesus tells the story. The son comes back. He's not past saving. And, and that's, the, that's the amazing story of the Bible. Is The Bible's a story of redemption. We've fallen. And there's this whole big chunk of the, new, or the Bible called the Old Testament that shows a whole bunch of that. Okay? But then there's this future hope that there's a way to be made right with God again in the Bible. And, and Jesus is saying, the son comes to his senses 
and he's, and he can come back. And so, um, you know, I wanted to ask a couple questions out there from those last two points. Are you living in the Kora Makra? Are you visiting the great emptiness regularly? And, and if, if, if Christianity is new for you, are you ready to turn back to God? And we see, um, we see the very nature of God in this moment when the younger brother comes back. And this is, this is the peak of the story. The, the younger brother who is totally in sin comes back to his father. What's the father going to do? You know, and maybe I haven't made this clear. The father in the story represents God. God is like a father to us. And so the Pharisees would say, God's like, God is like a hard task master. Like you better do everything he says, right? But Jesus is like, no, God is like a father, a loving father. And he's willing to welcome his son back because it's his son. And so um, when, when the father sees the son, it's, it's interesting, people make commentary on this, that the father is looking really far away to see if the son will come back. It's like the father knew, like, there was a, there was a famine. He's got to be out of money by now. He's got to come back now. And the father's, like, looking every morning, every evening while he walks by. He takes a look out the side. Is he coming up the trail today? And he, he sees the son afar off. And in, in that culture, when you're an old man, you would never run. Like, in our culture, you might run because you're healthy and fit and stuff. But, but in this culture, like, running was when you were a young man, Right? But the dad is willing to humiliate himself and run toward his son. He doesn't just wait for the son to get in and, all right, yeah, you better come groveling back, right? No, he runs to the son. The father, this is the peak of the story. The father runs to the son and greets him by hugging him and kissing him. And the son, you can imagine, he's, he's okay, I got this whole speech planned, dad. Okay, I'm going to... I'm just going to be one of your slaves. And dad's like, I'm not going to hear anything you're about to say. Okay. We're going to clothe you and we're going to accept you back in and we're going to celebrate your arrival. And so this, this moment, this peak in the, in the parable is the peak. It's also the peak in the Bible that God becomes a man and humiliates himself for us. And, and, and God becoming a man, the incarnation of God becomes Jesus Christ, okay? And Jesus Christ is living this amazing life, healing people. And then it takes a really strange twist. He gets crucified on a cross. And, but, you know, as, you, as we know the, the story, how the story goes, he took our punishment. He took our sins. The only way for mankind to be made right with God again and to come back into relationship with God was for the debt of their sins to be paid for. And Jesus pays our sin debt on the cross. And then what we celebrate today is three days later, he rose from the dead, proving he's the son of God, proving he has the authority to forgive sins. And the father takes the son back in and, and, he's, and he's brought into right relationship with the father again. And, and this picture of being clothed, if God is willing to take us sinners and clothe us in his righteousness. And, and the Bible talks about how before God, because we are the younger son, all of us, we 
are, are trying, when we, when we try to be right with God, we try to do it the Pharisee way and do all the right things to be right with God. It's like we're taking the rags that lepers used to wipe the pussy sores of their body. And it's like we're covering ourselves with those. God, look how good I am, right? God's not impressed by your works, okay? You need a whole nother degree of righteousness to be right with God. But God in Jesus made a way that you could be covered in the righteousness of Christ instead. And so the father's covering his son in righteousness like, like we need to be covered. And I've always read this story. And that, now let me just, I'll, I'll get back to this in a second. But if you're here and you're someone who's like, I don't know, am I a Christian? Like I was, I grew up in church, okay? Like I got baptized when I was seven years old. I had no idea what Christianity was. I didn't know John three sixteen. People hold this thing up at football games. Like, well, that's weird. It must be something from the Bible. I don't know, right? So it's possible to be in church and to, you know, oh yeah, I'm Christian. I was born Christian, right? It's even possible to be baptized. You know, I, I heard a pastor say this this week when I was listening to a sermon. There's gonna be a lot of baptized people in hell. That's a scary thought, isn't it? You are so close. But it's, it's not about being a religious person. It's about being a saved person. Have your sins been forgiven? Has Jesus' righteousness been imparted to you? Are you out there in the outer darkness right now, in the, in the, the e- outer emptiness, and you don't have connection with God? You don't have the righteousness of Christ that would allow you to come into the presence of God. Well, God is freely offering it to you. You don't have to do anything to receive it. It is just there for you to accept. You go to God and you ask for it. Are you, are you like the younger son that you might realize that you're in the mud with the pigs and you might turn your, your back on that life and turn back to God in repentance? And so I've always loved this story and I've always never understood the, the older brother. Like you don't need the second brother in this story, right? Like this, the picture of all humanity, we're all sinners, okay? We all need God's forgiveness. So I've never understood the older brother until I read it this time and I saw the beginning of the chapter. And that's why I read to you the beginning of the chapter. This parable is in a context where the Pharisees, the religious elites of the day, are condemning Jesus for receiving sinners. Kids are partying downstairs. That's good news. That's good news. And, and so the point, there's, I mean, there's eight verses on this older brother at the end. You know, I feel like the story's over. The good news, man, God will receive sinners, right? But there's a whole other kind of sinner. I mentioned, I mentioned greed. I mentioned lust. I mentioned hatred, anger, right? But there's, but there's, there's pride. There's a whole other sin that's just as offensive to God. And maybe you're sitting in church here today and you're like, oh, I'm not, I don't, I'm not sexually immoral, like wretched sinners. I'm not, I'm not, you know, greedy for money and selfish all the time. I'm a nice guy. I take care of my family. I'm a good person, you know, and that's the Pharisees. I'm a good person. I don't hang out with sinners, right? But there's a whole other kind of sinner. There's like a whole spectrum of being a sinner. You got the wretched sinner spectrum over here, and you got the arrogant sinner over here. And you're, you're on this spectrum somewhere, okay? You're not off, you, nobody's off the sinner list, okay? And so what does Jesus say about Pharisees? How do, how do we respond to religiously prideful people? He just calls them out. 
And he says, you guys are like the, he doesn't do, I mean, I think they get the point. They end up murdering him eventually. So, you know, but what Jesus is saying is that the Pharisees, the older brother has missed the father's heart. The, The older brother comes out and talks to dad, dad, what are you doing? I've worked my whole life for you. I've been faithful to you, you know? And this is the relationship the Pharisees had to God. I am a righteous person. I do all these 613 laws of the Old Testament. And then I've got a whole book of more laws that I made up for myself to follow just to prove how righteous I am, right? And Jesus is like, you guys have missed the point. Jesus is receiving the sinners and he's a radical. It's just, what? This isn't what we do around here. You know, and it's, it's that the Pharisees have completely lost connection to God in their religion. Isn't that ironic that your religion could actually separate you from God? And they have, they have become lovers of the physical processes of religion. They love the clothes. They love the praise of the people. They like to go and on the corner of the streets and out in front of the temple. Oh God, thank you that I'm not a sinner. You know, they pray these kinds of prayers that it talks about in the New Testament. They're just arrogant religious people who have no connection to God because God's heart is for the sinners. God's heart is for the tax collector. And and he wants to bring them back. God wants to have a relationship with these people. They're his children. And Christians, I mean, I think we'd agree. We see it with the Catholic Church. They got lost in their religion, right? And it's the same thing for us. Don't think the evangelical church or the Protestant church or any other church is ever going to be immune from this problem that we have, that we will, we will trade our, our relationship with God for religious practices and customs. And it's, I think they're camouflaged in, in our church. I think it's a lot harder to find them, but I think they're still there. And so um, we can have the worship team come back up. And I'm just going to ask you guys to bow your heads and, and close your eyes and just be reflective for a couple minutes, okay? It's kind of a weird thing we do around here, like inclining our heart toward God, okay? I want to ask you, maybe that's just totally foreign. Bow your head, close your eyes, incline your heart toward God. You have a soul that is not a part of your physical body, and your soul was made for God. And I want to encourage you right now, Stretch your soul out toward God, if that makes any sense to you whatsoever. And I'm just going to say a few things and ask you if you fit in one of these groups. So there's a, there's a way that we could, there's a couple different ways we could go when we read this story as human beings, as you know, fellow sinners, all of us. Is, you know, I, I read this story and I ask myself, have I become a Pharisee? And there's a, there's a part in... Um, the book of Revelation, where Jesus comes back to speak to a church. And, and he says to them, you've left your first love. And, and I think that would happen because the physical systems and routines of the church or the Bible reading and all of the, the, the habits and patterns of it, they replace spiritual intimacy with God. And so when Jesus says this to this church, that they become lukewarm, they're not hot or cold. He, he encourages them, he exhorts them, return to your first love and do the works that you did at the beginning. And I think if, if you are one here whose concern would be, have I become a Pharisee, God? I want, I want you to hear the Lord on that. I want you to 
to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit on that and, um, and do the works that you, you know, I think he would say do the works that you did at the beginning. Repentance from sin. Believing and trusting upon God for your, for your salvation. And if there's a few questions I went through, if you, if you happen to be the prodigal here, I'll tell you, we love seeing new people around here. And these are the questions I asked you throughout the sermon. Are you dead to the things of God? Are you living in the great emptiness? Are you ready to turn to God? And will you receive what God is offering to you? And if you've heard this story story today and you've never heard it like this before, I want to encourage you that Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if you are one who would identify today as the prodigal son who is separated from God by sin, I want to encourage you that it is a free gift of salvation, that you could receive forgiveness, that you could be brought into a father and son relationship with God just by asking him for it. So I want to encourage you today to do that. When I was in college, I heard the gospel and I went back to my dorm room. I got in the bathroom between the two rooms, locked both the doors, got down on the floor and just put my hands up and just asked God to forgive me, ask God to change me. And, and I did what Jesus said, that you lose your life, that you'll find it. And I, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I said, Lord, take it, have it, forgive my sin, take, take control of what you want me to be. And um, he will. So I want to encourage you, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you're the Pharisee here, maybe you're the prodigal. Any of you, if you're so inclined, maybe even raise your hand up to God while people's eyes are closed and just reach out to God. God, forgive my sin. God, cleanse me from my unrighteousness. Let my heart be alive to you, God. May I care about the things that you care about. May my life be lived for you, Lord. I wanna give my life that I could find it. I let go of trying to have it my way. And Lord, I want to have it your way. Take control, Lord. Let my life be lived for your glory and your kingdom. Go ahead, Adam.